Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with Stephanie Lahr, CIO and CMIO at Monument Health. In this segment, Dr. Lahr talks about how implementing a self-deployment strategy helped increase buy-in among her team, what she expects to see in terms of telemedicine in the post-COVID-19 world, and how she's been able to draw from the experience of preparing for an epic go-live and apply those lessons to the pandemic. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR, Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare. See your whole patient. Visit highlandhealthcare.com to learn more. As far as issues like staffing, since you're on the earlier part of the curve, is this something that has not been an issue yet as far as having to uh, ramp up staff to be able to accommodate more patients? Yeah, so we are in the stages of basically putting together a eight or nine phase now possibly um, surge capacity planning, which includes everything from the space to the technology to the other equipment needs, as well as then, of course, obviously the staffing. So I would say the place that we are at now is putting together those plans so that as we enter into each of those phases, we know who and how we're going to need to leverage people. And that is, for example, on the inpatient side with some of the things that we're doing with video capability, that will potentially allow, for example, an ICU nurse sitting at a, a command center workstation to be able to monitor 16 patients at one time in various ICU settings around the hospital and communicating with the nurse who is in closer proximity to them, but who may be kind of going back and forth between more widely distributed areas because those negative pressure isolation rooms are not all in one location. I think that's common at a lot of hospitals is that those are sort of separated in different areas of the hospital, mm -hmm. but we will reserve yeah. those rooms for those ICU level patients receiving aerosolized procedures. And so now we have a decentralized ICU. So part of our capacity planning and staffing is what are some of the tools that we could use that might allow a physician to be able to round on 24 patients in a few hours instead of 12. And right. some of the way that you could do that is to be able to beam in room by room as opposed to having to physically walk and put on equipment and take that off and those kinds of things. Okay. And in terms of doing some of the um, telehealth visits, it's remarkable how quickly that's been put into place. And what would you say were the keys to, uh, to making that possible? I think there were a couple of things. One, the organization was all swimming in one direction. Everybody was in agreement. This is something we want to focus on. We're motivated to do it. And so when you're rolling out a big project, um, that is huge to your success and how quickly you can do something is to have everybody, again, rowing in that same direction. We made informed but expedited decisions. So my philosophy since we started, you know, really digging into all of this a little over a month ago was that we wanted to make good decisions, 
but we did not have time for uh, overthinking having multiple meetings, bringing multiple different areas together. It wasn't, we couldn't use our traditional decision-making processes in order to do this because we just didn't have the time. So with the support of the organization that um, my team was going to make the best decisions possible, knowing we've got clinical and technical people on the team, they said, you figure this out and what you think we need to do we will be behind. And so that's how I was able to essentially on one day say, okay, here's the criteria I need. And I asked my team to go out and do some legwork on what that would look like so that we could do a comparison and within 24 hours go from initial search to decision and contracting. And then again, because the organization was excited and motivated to do this, The next day, we were able to get it built out and have the teams say, yep, we're we're willing to trial it. We know it's going to be a little rough around the edges, but again, we're excited to, to be able to move into this space created rapidly sort of what I called a self-deployment package. And I shared that with the organization, you know, the rest of the leadership team very early on was that if we wanted to get all clinics and all specialties up across our 25 locations and several hundred mile geography, we were Mm going to need to do what I called self-deployment. And so very non-traditional from my normal informatics, high touch at the elbow support kind of approach was this was the exact opposite of that. But we were really upfront about that. And we said, here's how it will work. Here are the WebExes. Here are the tip sheets and the tools. We will have people available for you to talk to. But in order for everyone to essentially go live at almost the same time, you guys have to own as much of this as we are going to in the success of it. And again, because everyone was so motivated to make it happen, that's exactly what they did. And we walked through a a day or two of piloting to work out a few kinks, put those tools together for people to be able to sort of self-direct, and they ran with it. That's got to be really great from the leader's perspective, too, that there is this willingness to, to, like you said, own it and try something that is going to have probably hiccups at first, but has just such a tremendous upside. Yeah. You know, I think this situation is so challenging and and really unbelievable in so many ways, but there really are some opportunities hidden in this for us to um to innovate and to create and to push the bounds of what we normally have done before. And really what I find is that for the most part, this kind of a situation typically brings out the best in people. And that's really what we're seeing. People understand that this is something that we're going to need to conquer as a team. Um, And when I say a team, that's the whole community as a team, the whole healthcare organization as a team. This is a team effort. And so it's, it's really inspiring and gratifying in a lot of ways to be able to be working in the middle of this situation because there's a lot of really amazing things that are happening too. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I know it's hard to say now what's going to happen with, with telehealth, especially since, you know, we, we had this unprecedented event of regulations being lifted. But do you think that this will kind of kind of help along that movement towards virtual care? Yeah, I, I think it has to. For, I'm sure, really good reasons over time, there have been these limitations put in place. 
we're going to have a lot of data in a handful of months to help us look back and determine whether the concerns over that created some of those limitations were valid concerns or not. And um, from what I'm seeing in the early success of what we're experiencing, from a quality perspective, we'll have some data I think that we'll be able to look at to say, did we see any changes in the sort of outcomes of these patients? It'll be a little bit difficult because there are obviously a number of other confounding variables in the middle of a pandemic as to why a patient may do better or worse than they do normally. But I think we'll have some opportunity to review that. We certainly will be able to monitor things like patient experience and number of visits and and ease of use and those kinds of things. That, I think, is going to speak greatly to the success of this. What I'm seeing is that the patients really, really like it. The, The providers do, too. But I think that's always been a question is, do patients really want this? Are they going to use it? Yeah. Would they not? What's the? And we're seeing that they really do like it, and they think it's a high-quality experience. And I think then from a consumer perspective, hopefully that will drive the payers really to say, mm-hmm. this is something our consumers, that are the people who are paying for the services that we provide as a payer, are saying we really want, you know, our beneficiaries say we want this access. And so I think it's going to be very difficult (laughs) to peel back later once people have become somewhat accustomed to this. I I won't say that it's impossible because it definitely can be done, but I think that it's going to be difficult. And I think that we're likely to have a lot of information that's available to help show that this can be very successful. And it may show us some areas where it is less ideally suited and, and we can make adjustments to that. Right. For anybody in a rural area, there's so much upside. But as you did point out before, there isn't always that connectivity. So definitely a lot that needs to be uh, sorted through. Even before all this happened, I'm involved in a couple of different groups. I'm doing some work with Chime in particular on the 5G national deployment project. What is that going to look like over time? And what are the drivers? And where should it go and when? And Again, my gut feeling was always that for rural areas, it may have been the overlooked opportunity that really was maybe even more necessary than doing it in our heavily populated areas because, Mm. you know, there are limitations in the kinds of connectivity that people can get beyond that. You know, we've got patients that still live in areas where the only thing that goes out to where they live is satellite and dial-up. You can't do a high-quality video visit over dial-up. But if we had expansive 5G, that could really be valuable. Right. In the meantime, we'll just do a phone visit, and that's good, too. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, a step in the right direction. The last thing I really wanted to touch on was the challenge of leading through a really uncertain time. And if you've had any experience before, whether it was going through something like a natural disaster or anything where you could kind of apply some of those uh, lessons. It's interesting you say that, and I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but from a technology perspective, it's a little bit similar to a go-live of a major project of any kind. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people that need to be coordinated, a lot of education that needs to happen, a lot that is expected but unknown about what Mm. that future is going to look like. And as you get closer to where that go live occurs, 
people's level of anxiety goes up, their need for information goes up, the you know need for com- good communication goes up. And I've actually had this conversation with my team because we did our Epic Go Live just two and a half years ago. And I said, do you remember when we were about eight or 10 days before our Go Live and a lot of really great work had happened in preparation, but we were seeing this rising level of anxiety and a sense of being uncertain to whether we'd really done everything we needed to do. Were we going to be ready? Were all the right people included? Some people were not feeling as though they had all the communication they needed. Things were changing rapidly and there was literally everyone needed to be informed and yet communication tools being what they are and human behavior being what it is. Communication always remains a challenge. And I said, during that time period, right before we went live is very similar to sort of where we are right now. So folks mm-hmm. in, in New York and Seattle and, and places where things have already really taken off, that's, it's a completely different kind of situation where they are in right now. But we are sort of in that pre-go-live stage right now. And there are challenges in that as well, because people have enough time to think about what may be coming and are we or are we not adequately prepared? And that creates anxiety and questions and needs for communication. But they also think, well, it's not here yet, so we probably still have time and maybe we should make more changes. And so I've tried to counsel my team on sort of the need to fundamentally acknowledge that people are experiencing this anxiety, that we need to support each other and give each other some grace in that anxiety. We need to work on communication. For my own teams, we now do Facebook Live every week. And so I do a uh, almost one hour session every Friday giving updates to my team. They can submit questions that I'll answer. There, Some of them are a little bit clinical. Where are we in the community? What is the work that our team is doing? We have games that we're playing that are either on Facebook or other means of social media and things where we gather people together. Thursday night, we have movie night. We pick a movie and we all watch it at the same time and we post on our private Facebook site because it's it's one of those times, again, sort of taking back from some of the things that we had even during our, our go live and just some of what I know from my physician training about human behavior in times of stress and, and an emergency is Mm -hmm. we need these calming factors. We need these connections to each other. And we need to recognize what it is we're going through and acknowledge and and let it kind of be what it is. And that helps us get through it. Yeah, actually, the comparison does make a lot of sense. There's nothing we can really compare this to apples to apples, obviously, but there's similar feelings. That a pandemic is like an epic go live, right? That's not at all what I'm saying. But some of the emotion that goes into the ramp up and that culminating moment and that high pressure situation. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, I I would love to talk more with you, but I think that I should let you go considering everything you have going on, but really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I definitely would like to catch up again in the future once things have settled a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to talk to you. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Stephanie. All right. Thanks, Kate. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes 
at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.